0: It's great to see you guys, and yes, we're going to jump into week two of our series, The Gift, but before we do that, I want to recognize someone who's been such a huge part of 2023, and that's Josh Matthews. So Josh, if you come up and your wife April with you, Josh has been the chairman of our deacons, and if you're new to church... While we want everyone to be a servant in all kinds of ways, there is a set-aside body of people who serve the church in very particular ways. About 153 men that make up our deacons, and Josh has just been a great leader all year uh, for our deacons to serve in so many ways. And each deacon chairman comes with their own kind of spin on things they want to emphasize that year. Josh is an athletic director at Pope High School. Shout out to Pope High School. Any Pope people? Um, yeah, a couple people. Uh, so yeah, and, uh, and Josh brings that kind of element of sports and leadership and love for Jesus. And so this year he challenged us to think about moments, It's kind of like the moments in a big game, these moments that define success. And we talked about how God brings about great moments in our life where he grows us and stretches us. And it's been an awesome year. And I know he's going to finish the year well, but Josh... We wanted to present you uh, with this plaque that says, thank you for reminding us that moments, not plays, uh, win the game, and that's based on Isaiah 25 when you talk about these wondrous moments that God has done. So thank you for your service this year, and just thank you for how you've made us a a healthier, a better church. And April, thank you so much for your support um, of Josh and your support as as a leader in your own right. We're so grateful for both of you guys. And uh, we wanna pray for you. I've asked some of our elders to come. And we're all going to pray for you. And uh, before we pray for him, let's just thank the Lord for Josh Matthews. He's been awesome this year. So, I'll give you that. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, let me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Josh. Thank you for his heart for you. Thank you for his leadership. Thank you for just the clarity that he's brought this year for us to focus on what you are doing and all the supernatural ways that you do it. And we're so grateful, Lord. And as uh, most of our elder team is able to lay hands on him, I thank you for how he's been an elder of this church this last year. And we are, in many ways, a better, healthier, more Jesus-focused church uh, because of the leadership that he has offered. So we're so thankful for him, thankful for April and their family, and what they mean here, and God, would you just bless him in all the ways that you do as he finishes this year serving this way? So, Lord, we love him, we love you, and we are thankful for you setting him apart this year to lead and to serve us. So, thank you, and we pray that in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. Well, it's a it's a busy time of year; a lot going on. I do want to recognize a group of people, and this has nothing to do with Christmas, but I think it's good for our community. Uh, Walton High School is actually playing for the state football championship uh, this Wednesday. So, yeah, we got some shout-out, Walton. So, even if if that's not your school or rival, whatever, hey, that's a big deal, and it's good for our community. So, uh, know that we're supporting them as they play the game on Wednesday night. And it's Christmas, so I'm sure if you're like us, things are crazy and your schedules are busy, and yet it's an awesome time of year with all kinds of traditions and rhythms and the things that your families do together at Christmas time. Christmas has a lot to it—the the lights and the music—and there are smells of Christmas. Are there? I feel like when I say that, people are like, "There are smells of Christmas. There's the smell of Christmas trees, the smell of cookies baking in the oven, or mulling spices. Maybe there's that beautiful smell of those horse stable-like stench of." Amazon cardboard boxes that are, you know, piling up. There's smells. I've I've got daughters. So over the last two years, there hasn't been a Christmas that I can remember where some kid wasn't getting some kind of perfume or body spray or whatever. So smells are a huge part of the Christmas experience. And smells were a huge part of the very first Christmas experience. In this series called The Gift, We're talking about the Magi and how they brought these three gifts at the feet of Jesus. Now, we don't know what the gifts mean exactly. The Bible never tells us. But we're speculating, based on the history of these gifts, how they point to something about Jesus. So last week, we talked about gold and how the gift of gold reminds us of the royalty, the kingship of Jesus. So today, we're going to shift to the second gift and I have actually that gift here. You may not know this. This is what boxes looked like 2,000 years ago when the magi came and presented them to Jesus. And they gave a box just like this, and they would have opened it up, and you saw that not only they gave gold, but they also gave frankincense. Now, this doesn't mean most uh, much to a lot of you, but back in the day, and in fact, right now, this stuff is very expensive, Frankincense is a tree resin. It comes from a tree called a Boswellia tree. You can find them in Somalia, other parts of Africa, other parts of the world. And so they tap the tree, and this resin comes out, and it hardens. And after a couple weeks, they cut it off the tree, separate the good stuff from the impurities. And they sell this. And people boil it down to extract the oil from it, and it's used for medicinal purposes. Today, it has this sweet, woodsy kind of aroma to it, But in the Bible, we learn that the priests in the Old Testament often used frankincense in the worship of God, Yahweh. And it was as if this sweet incense goes into the nostrils of God as a way of reminding us of the pleasure of worshiping him. Why did the wise men give frankincense to Jesus? It's an odd gift for a toddler. Maybe it means something. Maybe it means Jesus is the high priest, which you know that he is. But maybe in a larger sense, frankincense reminds us of the deity of Jesus. Now, you may not be familiar with that word deity, but I'm talking about the fact that Jesus is not merely a man, but that he is the God-man. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on the deity of Jesus. There are some times where you read certain texts in the Bible, and they tell you things that you need to do. And those are very important, and we need to do the things that God tells us to do. Sometimes in the Bible, there are simply things we need to know. I want you to turn to an amazing passage found in the New Testament. It's in the book of Philippians. And if you're new to the Bible, just look at your table of contents Philippians is in the New Testament. And nowhere in the book of Philippians is the word Christmas. Nowhere does it mention anything about Bethlehem or angels or even wise men. Yet, Philippians 2 is a beautiful passage that talks about the reason why Christ came. What was happening and what is the theology of Christmas? So today I'm going to be a little bit more teachy than preachy. I don't really know the difference. The difference is probably just volume, but I want to download some things into your head and heart, not just so that you know them, but that as you disciple other people, you can teach these things to others. And I'm hopefully going to teach it to you in a way that'll help you to remember it. So today our task is pretty simple. We want to talk about What evidence is there that Jesus was a God or God? And number two, we're going to talk about why does it even matter? So to get at this, let's look at Philippians 2. As soon as you get there, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. If you are physically able, would you all stand? And I would love to read this amazing passage. Now, in this passage, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi but he is most likely quoting an old hymn or creed or something that Paul did not write, but he's, he's using it for a certain reason, and that's where we're going to read today, verses 5 through 11. This is what Paul says Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but "...emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow." of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. What an amazing passage. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for revealing so much about who Christ is. Lord, our brains are limited. Our hearts are limited. And yet you have made so much about yourself clear So Lord, help us to learn today, and not to learn simply to learn, but to learn to teach, to learn to give, to learn to live in light of who you are and what you've done. Jesus, we thank you, and we're now listening to you teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. The reason Paul brought up this hymn is to teach the church of Philippi to serve one another. Apparently, there were some people not getting along at this church. And he uses this ancient hymn as a way of saying, hey, look at how Christ in humility served others and God exalted him. In fact, here's a visual depiction of the text we just read. You can see that it starts up, goes down, goes back up again. It starts There, with the glory of God that Jesus had from the beginning, his incarnation is just the theological word for when he was born in Bethlehem. He came and assumed a human body. His humiliation is his crucifixion, even death on a cross, as the text tells us. Then God exalts him, not only in the resurrection, but in the ascension. And then now he is worthy of adoration for everyone, all human beings. And every tongue will confess, every knee will bow as we just read. Now, we're not gonna look at this text verse by verse in that order, but I think this text says so much about who Jesus is. And I wanna teach this to you in a way that I hope will be memorable to you. It was something I learned years ago in a book called Putting Jesus in His Place. And it talks about evidence for why Jesus is God. And the uh, cross it uses is hands, H-A-N-D-S, hands. And so we're going to go through these five pieces of evidence, and then we're going to talk about why it matters. So let's do this. Number one, why does the text say Jesus is God? Well, number one, it's because Jesus shares the honors, the honors due to God. You may not think about honor a whole lot, But honor was a very important value in the ancient world. Unfortunately, honor has decreased so much that we don't think about giving honor to the people who deserve honor. But back in the ancient world, honoring those who had a higher status than you was a very important part of life. We learned that the Magi, when they came to Jesus, they get on their faces on the ground and present gifts to him as a way of honoring him, to honor God means to confess and live in light of his exclusive status as creator, sustainer, sovereign king of all the universe. And this hymn in Philippians 2 says in verse 9 that God exalts him, bestows on him the name above every name. Why? Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth And under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a radical statement saying that Jesus Christ deserves all the honor that we give to God. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're thinking, well, of course, we do that all the time. But imagine how radical that was for people, particularly Israel, who thought, no, there's one God. And now this Jesus comes along and says that he is God? That's blasphemy. In fact, why do they put Jesus to death? They put him to death, humanly speaking, because they thought he was a blasphemer, claiming to be God. No one does that. But Jesus claimed that he is God and that he should be honored as God. John 5 says it like this. The one who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. There is no divide between the honor due to the Father and the honor due to the Son. If you do not worship the Son as God, you dishonor the Father as God. A quote from John Stott, who I quote all the time, he's kind of a hero of mine, my kids are always like, why do you keep quoting John Stott? Um, Because I want to, and I can. So he says this, he says, nobody can call himself a Christian who does not worship Jesus. To worship him, if he is not a god, is idolatry. To withhold worship from him, if he is, is apostasy. Jesus is worth all the honor that we give to God. And we see text after text in the New Testament that says this. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul describes Christians as those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. How do, how do we honor Jesus, practically speaking? Well, we glorify him, we worship him, we fear him, we pray to him, we sing songs to and about him, we love him, we obey him. Why do we do these things? Because he is God. Jesus shares the honors due to God. Number two, this is the A, Jesus shares the attributes of God the attributes of God. There's a story told of a grandmother who was watching her granddaughter draw this little picture. And she said, sweetie, what are you drawing? And her granddaughter looked up to her and said, I'm drawing a picture of God. Her grandmother said, oh, but honey, no one knows what God looks like. To which she replied, they will now. <laughs> well, though no human picture could do that, Jesus is the revelation of of God, and he shares the attributes of God. Now, there are, in his humanity, things that Jesus shares with humans, like love, humans can love, faithfulness, humans can be faithful, though we're not perfect at it, but there are certain attributes that humans cannot share with God that only Jesus can, like his omniscience, his all-powerfulness, his omnipresence, his eternality. These are things that Jesus shares with God because he is the revelation of God. John 1 says it like this. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only son who is in the arms of the father, he has explained him. Now, what does this text tell us about who Jesus is? Well, right in verse 6, it says something pretty stunning, a lot of people never thought about My translation says, Who, as he already existed in the form of God. Let's just stop right there. Already existed. That's actually a present participle. He is existing, is a way of of saying that. This is the hymn's way of saying that Jesus has always existed. It's not as though there was God for a long time by himself and then. Somewhere along the way, he changes his mind, and then he says, All right, I'm going to let myself be born in Bethlehem as Jesus. And then now we add Jesus to the Father, and then later the Spirit comes. No, the Bible teaches us that long before God ever said, Let there be light, he existed as a triune Godhead Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus Christ has always been. Why? Because God has always been. Jesus is literally older than dirt, literally. And you may not know this, but Jesus helped to create that dirt. Sometimes we don't think about the fact that Jesus was involved in the creation of the world. This is what Colossians 1 says. And speaking of Jesus, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen to this. All things have been created through him and for him. He says... Who already existing in the form of God, let's listen to that, form of God. What does it mean by form? Form is the word, it's in the Greek, morphe. Think about the English word metamorphosis. A, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly through metamorphosis. It changes its form. Jesus Christ has always existed in the form of God. What does that mean? It could mean a lot of things. It, it could be same, something about his essence and the way that we experience his essence. But if you look, the verse later, verse 7, it says that he also came in the form of a servant. When it says the form, I think he's talking about a role that Jesus plays, a role that is tied to his nature. Jesus Christ was not made in the image of God like we are. We as human beings are made in the image of God. And that's another talk for another day about what the image of God means. But unlike Jesus, we do not exist in the form of God. Jesus exists not in the image of God, but in the form of God. He shares attributes that only God has. So what that means is that this is a stunning declaration that Jesus is God from the beginning. Skeptics love to say, no, 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 Jesus came much later. He's created by God. That is not what this text says. In the beginning, God already existed. Jesus existed in the form of God. Now, this has been debated for years and years and years and years, for thousands of years. In fact, one of the, one of the early controversies in the church in our history was around the fourth century, and it was not the first time it had been debated, but there was a guy named Arius who contended that yes, Jesus is amazing, but he's God's firstborn of all creation. In other words, he is at the top of creation, but he is not himself God. And this caused a whole shockwave of controversy and they called councils together to, to study what the Bible said. And, and there's a lot of history that goes with this. In fact, you might've seen a meme that's been floating around where it has uh, Saint Nick that we get, you know our modern day Santa Claus from, punching Arius in the face which is actually something that tradition tells us that happened when this battle, theological battle happened, St. Nick punched him in the face. Now, that probably didn't happen, though I've never let truth get in the way of a good illustration, but this probably didn't happen. But it shows you how contentious this was, and St. Nick apparently was a baller, right? I mean, y'all know the song. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you're a heretic and I'll punch you in the face, so you better, that's, I mean, y'all know St. Nick. So the, the crucial question that was at, at play then and now is this, is this. Was Jesus a man through whom God was revealing himself or was Jesus God revealing himself as a man? And the answer, biblically, is the latter, that Jesus was the God-man. In fact, this actually debate, uh, draws a dividing line between us and other religions. Many, like Islam, that respects Jesus as a teacher, as a prophet, but would never believe that God could somehow condescend into a human body to come to us, and yet that is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus shares the attributes of God. All right, so we got honors, attributes, y'all with me, everybody okay? All right, I know we're, I know we're diving deep here today. Number three, he shares the names, that's the end part. Remember, we're doing hands, H-A-N-D-S, honors, attribute, names. He shares the names of God. Why, why do we name the children, our children, the names that we give them? Well, different reasons, sometimes it's a family name, Sometimes we just like the name, sometimes we look at the baby and think we'll name, I'm like, you look at a baby and think, you look like a clump of dirt, we'll name you Clay. That'll be a perfect name for you. (laughs) Well, it's a great name. We, We give names for all kinds of reasons, but in the Bible, names have really important significance. And when this text talks about the name it's talking about something so much greater than just something that sounds neat. Notice in verse nine of Philippians two. Do you see it? For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Now Jesus shares the names associated with God. Here's a few examples. Matthew one, Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. John 1, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Revelation 22, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Matthew 27, Jesus is the King of the Jews. Isaiah 9, we just sang this. Jesus is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. John 6, Jesus is the bread of life. And John has a whole number of the I am statements that Jesus said about himself. Isaiah 59, Jesus is our Redeemer. 1 Peter 2, Jesus is the living stone. But the question is, what name is Philippians 2 referring to? Is it the name Jesus? Is that the name? That's above every other name? I think what he means by the name that is above every name is not Jesus, though of course Jesus is a special name. It's the title given to him in verse 11, where it says that, at, that every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Lord. That's the name. The name that is above every name is the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, when we think about Lord, you might think about in some English history where we had lords and ladies and and all that kind of thing. But Lord in the Bible is, is in essence, the, the same word as the covenant name for God, Yahweh. To call Jesus Lord is to call Jesus Yahweh, It is the name that Jesus shares. That is the name that is above all names. It is calling him Lord. And Lord applied to Jesus throughout his whole ministry. John the Baptist preached, prepare the way of the Lord. One time Jesus was asleep on a boat and his disciples in the midst of a bad storm came up and said, Lord, save us. Jesus warned of those who said, Lord, Lord, and yet claimed to do miracles but disobeyed him in their hearts. Stephen was being stoned to death and he twice called upon Jesus as Lord. Paul said in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Revelation and on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ shares the very name of God honors, attributes, names. What's the D? Jesus shares the deeds that God does. The deeds. Our belief in the deity of Jesus does not merely rest on his title as Lord, but it is substantiated on what we see him doing, his acts, his deeds. Jesus said himself in John chapter five, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. When we read the Bible, the New Testament in particular, what do we see Jesus doing that are the deeds reserved for God? Well, several. We already read one Jesus is the Creator as seen in John one and Colossians one. Jesus upholds and sustains the world. As we sing the song, Jesus literally has the whole world in his hands according to Colossians 1. Jesus performed miracles. He can make the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. Jesus can manipulate his creation, turn just a few loaves and fish into enough to feed thousands. He can turn water into wine. Jesus has power over nature. He can calm the sea. Jesus will share in the role of judge that we see in his second coming. And yet there's one act that Philippians 2 wants to focus on that only God can completely and sufficiently do? What is that at? Well, let's look in verse 6. It says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form, there's that, the role, of a bond and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." What is the act that only God can do? It is to redeem and save sinners like you and me. And I love the way it talks about how Jesus does this. He said that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, people have debated that over years and years, and it's worth way more time than we have to give it this morning. But the word grasp is, I think this is the only use of it, and it's something like seize, to hold on to. Let's say that you're a woman. You got a purse. You're in a bad part of town, and you feel unsafe. You probably grab onto that purse. You snatch onto it. It's to hold on to something that you already have. Jesus Christ had every right to hold on to his godness and all the honor and privileges worth that. But in an act of humility, to die on the cross for you and for me, Jesus, in essence, gave up his right to all the glory and privileges due him as God. He did not seize on, grasp on to that godness but gave it up in humility. Interesting, by the way, to contrast Jesus with Satan and Adam. Neither of them were God and yet tried to become God, to grasp onto godness. Jesus Christ already was God, and he released it in humility and service that we might be saved. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on earth. Across, and this is the point. I think people love Christmas because who doesn't love a sweet, cuddly baby? And there's a lot of people who come to church at Christmas time. In fact, that may be you. and And I want you to hear this: we love you're here. I mean, I don't know why. Maybe you're here because you're in town and your family's like, "Man, come to church with me. I love you." And that's and that's great. Or maybe you're asking questions. Maybe a friend invited you. I don't know why you came. I love that you're here. But there's a lot of people who come to church only at Christmas, and one thing I just wanna say to you, you may not know this, because you only hear the Christmas story every year, but Jesus actually grew up, like you may not know that, like he got older, and he did stuff, he did other stuff besides being born. And the supreme act that Jesus did for us was to die on the cross for our sins. You cannot talk about the cradle without also connecting it to the cross in the old Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which I think is the perfect song for this text. It says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. You can't have the cradle without talking about the cross. Without the cross, there'd be no forgiveness. Without the resurrection, there would be no eternal life. Jesus shares in the honors of God, the attributes of God, the names of God, the deeds of God. What's the S? Jesus shares the seat of God's throne. Last year, when we studied the book of Hebrews, remember that, we talked about this word that describes Jesus sitting beside God the Father. And the word is his session that Jesus Christ ascended and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. And this is why at the end of this hymn in verse 9 through 11 says, not only has the name of every name, not only will every tongue confess to Jesus is Lord, but they will do it to the glory of God the Father, that he is exalted and sitting right now at the right hand of the Father. Which begs the question, what is Jesus doing right now? I mean, we we should beware that we only talk about Jesus in the past tense, and sometimes we do that, right? Like Jesus died for my sin. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus taught, it's all past tense, stuff he did. But the question is, what is he doing? Do you know the answer to that? Right now, this very moment, Jesus is right now exercising universal rule over everything, earth and heaven, people and angels, all things. Right now, Jesus is the exalted in the exalted location of God's throne, interceding for those of us who call on Him. And the Bible says that there is mercy and grace in our time of need because of where Jesus is right now. Right now, Jesus is preparing to be the judge. And Paul tells us that every single one of you and me will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And what is He doing right now? He's preparing in his own perfect time. And we don't know when it could be this afternoon. We don't know. Jesus Christ is preparing to come back again to bring all things under his feet and he receives universal worship and he's coming again in glory. He shares the seat of God's throne. Honor, attributes, names, deeds, seats. And I love that, the hands of God. In fact, Jesus one time talked about his hand Do you remember this in John chapter 10? He said this, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I love this. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that good news? No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Sometimes people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. No, he said it right there in John 10. I and the father are one. This was no mere cute, cuddly baby born in Bethlehem. This was no mere man. No, no, no. This was the God man. Now, you might be thinking, all right, I've never thought about some of that before. I understood maybe 40% of what you just said. But what in the world does this have to do with me, and why does this matter? That is a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. So let me give you a few reasons it matters, and I'm just going to briefly run through these. I'm not going to spend near the time. we just dealing with those other five things. Why does the deity, the godness of Jesus matter? Well, number one, it matters because it distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. Do you understand how unique it is? That the claim of Christianity is that God came down to earth and assumed a human suit to rescue you that you might be saved and to know Him. No other religion teaches that. People think, all religions are the same. It's like hiking up different trails to the same top of the same mountain and there's the same God at the top. You know, you pick, you're you know, Muslim, you're a Christian, you're a Buddhist, you're whatever. You know, we all get to the same top. That is not at all what the Bible says and it only proves that you don't know anything about religions. In fact, there are some that call themselves Christians that aren't because they don't believe in the deity of Jesus. Somebody knocks on your door. It's a Jehovah's Witness, Mormon. They don't believe in the deity of Jesus. They might use the same words, but we have a very different dictionary. And it distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. Number two, the deity of Jesus unlocks every other doctrine about Christ. It is imperative that when Jesus comes to the earth, yes, he becomes a man, but he never ceases to be God. Now he gives up some of the rights and privileges of being God because he became a human. But he never ceased to be the God-man. Sometimes people think, well, who cares if Jesus was born of a virgin? Why does that even matter? He still did miracles and taught good stuff, down on a cross. What do we lose if we don't have a virgin birth? You know what you lose? You lose Jesus. And it's like this chain of event where they're all built upon one another. Number three, why is the deity of Jesus matters? Because Jesus perfectly reveals the Father. Sometimes you read something, let's say in the Old Testament, that bothers you about God. A lot of people are bothered by things that I think at first reading should bother us. God in the Old Covenant often used Israel as an agent of his wrath, which means in the Old Covenant, before Christ, Israel had a military and an army that God would use as an agent of his wrath as his Old Covenant people. And sometimes they wiped other people off the face of the planet, sometimes they were engaged in battle and war and all these things, and and that bothers us. But if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He perfectly reveals the Father. And often your immediate reactions to the heart of God, you find out are wrong when you look at Jesus. Hebrews one tells us that in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. What does God think? What does Jesus think? How does God react to people? How does Jesus react to people? What kind of people does God hang out with? Who does Jesus hang out with? What kind of things make God mad? What makes Jesus mad? Jesus perfectly reveals the Father. Number four, why does the deity of Jesus matter? It's because he redeems us through his sinless substitutionary sacrifice. This is so important. If Jesus was not God, he would not have the power to take away sin. Yes, a lot of people died on crosses. Tons of people died on crosses. In fact, we know in the the Bible, Jesus was one of at least three that day that were dying on crosses. But unlike the other two men on either of his side, Jesus Christ was not merely a man dying on the cross. He was the God man. What that means is that in order to bear the weight of God's wrath, it was essential for the Savior to be divine. In order to satisfy the wrath of God, he had to offer a sacrifice of such value that God would be well-pleased to accept it. He is the sinless, substitutionary sacrifice that we might be saved, which all lands at this final and fifth point of why this is so important to understand the deity of Jesus. If you have the wrong Christ, you do not have God. 2 John 9 makes this pretty clear. Anyone who goes too far and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who remains in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. I hope this isn't just some kind of esoteric, theological, in that interesting kind of a discussion today. I hope that you're realizing that there might be a lot of people here today who are like those who Jesus said, you say to me, Lord, Lord, like you're using the title of Jesus as God, but you're not actually believing in the right Christ. And if you have the wrong Christ, you don't have a God. And so our heart and prayer this Christmas season is that you would do what we read in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's our heart and prayer, that you would be saved by confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Have you done that? Have you moved from darkness to light have you allowed God to come into your life and to change you, to change your wants, your desires? That's what happens when he gets saved. It's not like everything changes immediately, but God comes into your life with the spirit and he just starts to change you and your wants and your desires and he grows you and you're his child and you walk with him. And I wonder if right now, the very miracle of salvation is happening this morning when someone's saying, God, I believe and I receive the salvation because of what you, the God-man, have done for me. Maybe a lot of you just to be reminded today, you've been Christians for years and years, just the beauty of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. And we worship a God. Let's pray to that God. Father, we love you and we thank you for the beauty of Jesus and the glory of Jesus. We thank you that you're no mere man, but you are the God man. Lord God, if there's anyone here today who needs to confess with their mouth that you are Lord and believe in their heart that you have raised, been raised from the dead, Father, would you save them? Would you call them? Would you, Lord, put your spirit inside of them and do the miracle that only you can do? God, for the rest of us, would we live our lives as though you are God? And that, Lord, you hold this world in your hands. Father, we love you. We thank you.